0: Hey folks and welcome to another episode of the leadership tales podcast i've got to avoid saying i've got a favorite guest but this has got to be one of my favorite guests that i've ever had on the podcast just because the story which you'll hear today how we got connected and the story about who connected us um, their interaction but then this connection comes on and you'll hear today has a story about what he does which is impacts on society uh, in a big way. So this connection, which I won't spoil the story, through to the story about impacting on weather and climate. So Tim Carroll is going to be talking to me today, and he's going to be telling his story. And when we first met, Tim and I, there was so much in common, music taste, backgrounds. But if you'd actually done a LinkedIn profile beforehand and said, so, are they connected? Are they? Do they have connections? I probably would have said no. Uh, and therefore, I am so glad to have him in my life now and so glad to get, give you the chance to listen to him and his story as he goes through. So this is Tim Carroll. Tim, I'm going to introduce you to the world, but... I'd love you to tell us a bit about yourself, but I think we should start with how the hell we met because it's quite a story. Yeah. And, Do you want and, to tell the audience how we met. Yeah.
1: A, a thousand percent. Because I, if I could get away without having to talk about myself, I'd be completely fine with that. So <laughs> to talk about it in the third person or the guy who wanted to punch him in the face, I'll take it. Then we can jump into <laughs> the other stuff.
0: So go on, tell me, tell us the story, Tim Carroll to give you a full name. So it sounds like you're at school. Tim Carroll, tell me how we met. <laughs>
1: uh, if you had said Timothy John Carroll, I would be having <laughs> flashbacks to my mother, eyes ablaze of whatever it is that I had done. So Tim Carroll will work. Yeah. Um, but um, so, the, so yes, uh, you and I met because Chris had described to you, Chris Tuff, mm. who wrote Savior Asks, had described to you the person uh, that when he was speaking, wanted to punch him in the face hmm. and chose it was impactful enough, no pun intended, that he wanted to, that he wrote a chapter about it in his book. Um, and so I just have to say for the record, and especially because my kids will see this at some point, I would not have actually punched him in the face. But I do know the looks I get on my face. And there's a chance that he was completely justified in thinking that I did want to. Right. So I just, we, we have to get out in front of that. Put it out room.
0: there. So, so okay. the context, he's speaking yes. to yes. an audience. Yes. You're sat how many rows back? Front
1: row? Well, so the challenge, well, because I took my customary seat, which was back right corner. Right. <laughs> the, um, and That's so even more I, impressive. <laughs> yes. Well, right, exactly. I must have had their spot shadow or something. But, but so this is, I mean, as you can see, I'm a sort of, Middle of the road, corporate America looking as you get, right? I just went to the frameless glasses. So right?
0: Those that are listening and can't see this, he's a lovely looking guy <laughs> who just doesn't look like Chris or wants right, to right. punch Chris. And in the
1: face. so I'm I'm right. And so then here's Chris up on stage, and Chris has the neon yellow glasses, and he's got the Air Jordans, and he's got the leather jacket, and he's got the whole thing. And so right in, he's the antithesis of of me. Um, and he was talking about a number of topics and and many of them revolved around these connections that he had to these bigger than life, fabulous people. Mm -hmm. And I am somebody that I'm just not comfortable with fabulous, right? It's not my MO. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I have of course done what is my go-to reaction, which is to prejudge Mm -hmm. and predetermine, uh, what it was, but there has always been a part of me in the back that is an active listener that like, if somebody's got the guts to get up there in front of a room full of people and start talking, I might as well listen. And so I was sitting with my listening face, which sometimes can be confused with my punch somebody in the face (laughs) face. And so what he thought was utter disdain was actually that I was pre focused on what he was saying, because what he was getting to was this message of authenticity, was this message of, of reaching out to people in order to Um, Reach out to other people. You've got to make yourself vulnerable to a certain extent, but at the same time You don't need to just go blather and throw up on the table in front of people, right? And so Chris has done a remarkable job of building this network of incredibly diverse people from across the spectrum Socioeconomic, I mean you name it. It's across Mm. the board But because all of it comes from this genuine curiosity that he has about what makes other people tick Mm. Um, and and I quickly realized that he and I were much more alike than we were different.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and to his credit, he made a beeline for me after that talk and, and just flat out said, you know what, you looked like you wanted to punch me in the face <laughs> and uh, the whole thing. And so then I answered, well, I kind of did just because <laughs> I wanted to see his reaction. Um, and that was four years ago. And we've talked every week for four years. That is an um, amazing story. And have become... Uh, very close. And uh, and he's you know on the cusp of millennial and Gen Z. And I was on the cusp of Boomer. And it's just been this fascinating journey of finding mm. out how two people who in so many ways you could think of as very different, shared so many similar values, right? And then we said, okay, how do we communicate this to other people? How do we apply it? And I work for a large tech company. He's a solo entrepreneur, but we would just keep Lobbing ideas back and forth of how do we apply these principles to these individuals, and so it's just been great. It's been a it's been a, a whole new journey for me that I wasn't expecting. I mean, you know, if you do, if you take back my story,
0: so I I was doing a LinkedIn sprint on a Saturday morning, didn't know what to post, had a friend Michael Bungistani's book on the desk, posted the picture and said, whose voices should I listen to? And one of those was Brian Wish, who introduced me to Chris Tuff who then told me the story about this guy who wanted to punch him in the face. Then you send me an email when I'm interviewing him about this to say, I'm the guy who wanted to punch him in the face. We should talk. And then we've talked and we've had probably more in common, you know, our stories oh. of dogs, our kids. Are, and you think. Fantastic taste in music too, by the way. It's absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but we won't bore the listeners with that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think there is something, because we're going to get on to you as a, as an individual, what you do, because it's, it's fascinating, but it, a lot of what you do is connect people with information Mm -hmm. to then create things that impact on the world and society and community. And, and Chris for all his neon glasses and everything else is all about that as well. You know, so it's, it's fascinating.
1: And you as well, I think you, you reach this point in life where you've, you've achieved a certain amount of success, but not success for success sake, but Success because it then gives you the independence to be able to go do that which you really feel in your heart is the right thing to go do. Yeah. And what's interesting is how we've chosen different paths to that. Um, but with me, I happen to work in the weather and climate space. Hmm. And so if you think about weather and you think about climate, it's the one thing that impacts every single human being on the planet every single day. And then if you take a look at what has happened recently, You know, say, by Earth standards in the last 30 to 50 years since the Industrial Revolution, the the planet's changing so rapidly um, and the, the weather and climate that even farmers that have been on the same piece of land for four or five generations and were able to hand down institutional knowledge of when to plant, what to plant, all those other pieces, they're saying all of those generations of knowledge aren't applicable anymore because the climate has changed. Right. And when you start talking about and that's not just somebody in Iowa, that's somebody in Kenya. That's a subsistence farmer in Kenya. Right. So, you know, when we talk about our ability to impact, you know, there is this notion of how can you do it? But when you figure out how to do it, you have to. You can't not do it. And that's where I've gotten my second burst of energy in life and my career. Um, because one could argue that I spent my entire career not knowing exactly what I wanted to do. Hmm. It was a pretty safe bet to say that I didn't really know what I wanted to do until I was fifty-five years old, uh,
0: which is only a year ago. So you know, that's about <laughs> right, right. But coming back to so, I, I want to start with the end in mind because we started before this conversation talking yeah. about what you wanted to give your kids yeah. you know, from here. Because yeah. I, I think there's something here about a lot of us in our past will not, will be 55 and then go, ah, oh, this is what I want to do. Or yeah. might be 45, 40. Or might have a false dawn thinking, well, this is what I want to do because this is always what I want. Like open a restaurant and then suddenly go, this is hard work, this is never what I wanted to do. I want to go do <laughs> something <that> different. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but if we end up with the outcome, what was? tell us a story about what you want to give your kids and then work back. Yeah, you. so yeah.
1: you know, one of the things that I also realized over the last, it's been such a tumultuous last five years you know, politically, culturally, I mean, all of those things. And I realized that I was walking around. I had had reached a point where I'd been successful and I was secure in my life that I was supposed now was supposed to be the time of my life when I was free of fear. And I now walk around fearful, not for myself, but because of what I know about what the future looks like from an atmospheric perspective. I fear for my kids. And then I see what we're doing to each other politically and culture, all those other things that we're doing to each other. And I started to, to fear it. And then six months ago, AI and chat and all these other things came barreling down the tracks. And it was just one more thing to throw on the pile of things to be nervous about. Does this mean that my job's going to get um, taken away? I mean, all of the other things it's there's so much potential, but there's so much unknown. And it caused me to step back and think, wait a minute, I'm, an international relations and American literature major who ran supercomputing companies. Um, how did I do that? Because I was never a computer science, computational uh, or domain scientist, but what I was always able to do was to be able to connect the right people in order to solve really big important problems. And the way that you connect people is by respecting them, being curious about them, being empathetic, not only to the skill sets that they bring, but what are they afraid of, right? So um, I, I actually spoke to a group of some of the world's leading numerical weather prediction specialists uh, over the last two days in Colorado. And I started off by saying, um, I am not a domain or a computer scientist, but what I do is I build teams that solve hard problems, mm-hmm. right? And AI can't do either one of those things. Mm -hmm. AI can't respect. AI can't sense. It's not empathetic. It doesn't team build. Any of these other pieces. And so all of these qualities that I realized that were the things that actually were uh, most important to me building out a career are the very things that I can give my kids so that they can go learn the technology, which we're all going to have to understand going forward. But, in, but it's the kind of thing that they can't go learn that in a classroom. They can't learn empathy in a classroom. You can only model empathy. You can't teach empathy, right? And so to me, the real opportunity, but also the responsibility that people like me and people of our generation have is to make sure that our kids, especially coming out of COVID, because it was so destructive to their interpersonal skills, right? If we can make sure that we're always modeling Respect, empathy, trust—all of those other pieces will be okay with the technology because the people driving the technology will have those as their core tenets. Hmm. Love that,
0: and I, I want to. So, taking that as the outcome, want to go back because I want—I want to give people a flavor of what you do. Because when you first talked to me about this, you gave me a really good example about Africa and the ability to predict and the weather. And I, I'd love you to, to share that because that, for me, really crystallized exactly what you
1: do and what you're about. Yeah. So take the politics, take guilt, take anything out of this. Um, but just the fact of the matter is, is that the people who are most susceptible, and by most susceptible, I mean most likely to lose their lives due to extreme weather and climate change, are in the global south. They're in less developed countries. Hmm. And it's because, one they're closer to the subsistence line where I was referencing the subsistence farmer. And so the they're, they're in a much more fragile state. Um, and then two, they don't have the resources or the tools to be able to predict when these extreme events are going to happen. And by extreme events, I, I don't just mean sort of weather typhoon flash flood, but also heat domes and drought, right? That are is it going to be moist? And so some of that's weather, some of that's climate, and so if we can give them the tools, um, now, the other thing that is great about less developed countries is that for the most part, three out of four people have a smartphone. Hmm. Three out of four people are carrying a phone. So that we've never been in a p- better position where on one end of the spectrum, we've got supercomputing capability that is beyond, the, uh, beyond that, which, every, which anybody 50, 60, 70 years ago would have even deemed possible. Not only do we have it, but we now have the ability to have anybody access it. But then we also can take the warnings and everything else that we generate and using AI, right, using AI, we can get it down to the farmer who needs it in the language and dialect they speak, even if they're not literate. Hmm. Right. And we can do it that fast. Yeah. Right. And so if we can, how can we not try? Hmm. Right. And so that's where. And, and, and when when I love the bumper sticker, though, as my kids will be quick to point out, no bumper stickers in my car <laughs> no bumper stickers. Don't do it. Right. Because yeah. then you got to peel it off at some point. Um, but think globally, act locally. Hmm. Right. Here is such an opportunity when we've got things that we're working with relative to predictive models and some of these AI tools. If it works for I live in the state of Maryland, if it works for the state of Maryland, it works for the country of Kenya. Hmm. Right. So that so that anybody, somebody out of their basement with a better idea because of now cloud and the and the the democratization of all these tools has the ability to solve an important problem that they could then share with the rest of the world. The possibilities are limitless, even though the, the challenge is so daunting. We've never been in a better position as a society to help ourselves and to help each other. Right. And that's what the tech gives us.
0: And when it comes down to this, I mean. So everybody's listening to this and you talked about the fear, and there is a fear, but then we talked about the opportunity. But I, I always always somebody once said to me about change is about hope plus action. And hope is that piece about we've now got the technology, we're better equipped to do this. The action is the key thing. So what are you doing to to change that? Because at the moment people go, Well, isn't it obvious? Just do it. But it doesn't happen just obviously. It's,
1: yeah. But this is also where Sometimes it's pretty good to be in your 50s, right? Um, And it's pretty good to have done startups, done successful startups, to have failed startups, and also to work in large organizations, large corporations, some of which were good, some of which weren't so good. That's the beauty of having real-life experience in these broad portfolios, is that one of the things that I think that we are challenged with, and sometimes these are generational, is how do we bridge the hope and optimism and energy and fearlessness that that younger folks bring to the table and then marry that up with experienced people who have the ability to then help them take that idea and navigate, whether it's the hallways of Congress or corporate America or venture capital or academia, wherever else it is, you know, this mentorship of taking the best of both worlds and putting them together because, you know this notion of the the wonder kind CEO, those are one in a hundred, one in a million, one in a thousand, whatever you want to call it, right? Yeah. They get all the press, but that's not what's going to get the, get us out of this. What's mm-hmm. going to get us out of this is to have many, 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 many more people get those ideas to light, and that's only going to happen if the people with experience in how to in the how to get it done can help the people with the what I want to go solve mm-hmm. piece of it. And that's where my, my work with Chris, because we come from two different age groups, generations, that's where our conversations comes with how do we bridge that conversation? Because it's so critical given the changing dynamics and demographics of the, the next generation of leadership.
0: This is, it's an interesting one because it's slight diversion, but you know, uh, my daughter's just gone to see the movie Barbie. Um, she came back and I said, so how was it? And she said, it was great, but there wasn't enough men hating in it. It was too much. <laughs> And I was like, okay, so you are—you know—you're talking to a man here, and you know, right. and and how do we? And she, it, but she she articulated it quite clearly. She said, "There is a piece that it is good. An allyship was in there, but when we come to change, there's a need to 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 find a way to get that change over some hurdles, and they're massive hurdles in terms of what we get. So for every good, well-meaning person in the world, there's others who." through ignorance or just not the lack of knowledge struggle with this and and i suppose i'm probably one of those people because i'm sitting here going yeah it's pretty hot in uk and it's pretty hot in spain but it's nothing compared to what they're experiencing in africa and other places like that so so right. how do you how do you get that change to happen what's your experience
1: well i mean part of it is is that you have to be aware of what's happening so that when you say it's not happening in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa, well, guess what? Phoenix, Arizona has been over 110 degrees for 30 straight days, Yeah. right? You need to seize on when it is that people can no longer refute that change is happening. Hmm. But what you cannot do is say, I told you so, and celebrate, hmm. right? It's It's totally counterproductive. And that's the mode that we have gotten into. Yeah. Right. Um, and and I don't know how how much we encompasses, but certainly I can speak for it as an American. That's what we're yeah. what, that's what we do. And it's completely counterproductive. Hmm. Right. Um, and so what we need to do is we need to seize on the opportunities that are presented when people are now presented with irrefutable evidence that something has changed and that look, most people are smart. Most people know that. Al Gore came out with the movie An Inconvenient Truth a long, long time ago, and everybody laughed at him and called him Crunchy, but people should go back and watch that movie, right? Yep. And then I think that the other thing that we can and should do, and I try to teach my kids this, is that it's okay to admit when you made a mistake, Mm -hmm. right? Admit when you made a mistake and then figure out what you do to to learn from it, Mm -hmm. you know? So let's go back and listen to some of those people who were sounding the alarm 15 or 20 years ago because they've earned the right and earned the credibility to now have an opinion that we should value right now, right? Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, because what we do, some of those people just get so stomped on, they're like, yeah, forget it. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm packing my bags and going home. Uh, and it was interesting when you
0: said weather and climate earlier on, I want to come back to that because I, for me – uh, sometimes and i said this when i was talking blockchain the other day in the podcast i was said sometimes i feel like a real idiot yeah. You know? but i think when you're the idiot in the room is going help me understand the difference between weather and climate and help me understand the impact of what you do on the weather and climate it's an interesting sophisticated difference but i need to be educated and therefore a lot of people need to be educated and what we mean in difference between those
1: two yeah it used to be that weather and climate were these separate and distinct, but what's happened is, is that they're really overlapping. And so just think of, of weather is your interaction with the atmosphere. Hmm. And so weather is what I'm experiencing right now, right? And that's the, the best way to look at it. And so that's why on your smartphone, you go look at the weather forecast, right? For the next, could be for the next three hours, you know, could be up to 15 days, depending on how accurate the forecast is going to be. And then climate is really what is, okay, what is the long-term impact um, on the planet to, to these changes? So that if it, weather is a snapshot in time, climate is really a much larger span. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then if we know that, 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 the, uh, that the planet is gradually warming, and we then know that the polar caps are melting, which is then resulting in sea level rise, Right. These are things that no person is going to experience at a single point in time, but that those are incredibly important to geopolitical stability, Mm -hmm. to insurance companies. Look at the number of insurance companies who are pulling out of the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. They're pulling out of the state of Florida for a number of reasons. Some are meteorological and climatological, and some of them are financial. But the fact of the matter is it's because they don't know what's going to happen 15, 20, 30, 50 years from now to the regions where they've got assets that they're insuring. Hmm. They're pulling out not because of what they do know. It's because of what they don't know. Right. Yeah. So climate's long term, climate's 50 years, 100 years, decadent, or whatever. And then weather is, you know, for most people, weather is the impact now and for the next few days yeah and i was I was reading a book today which there's a lot in this, so a lot
0: of us um it's like a Tolle's book uh on now and how we live in the now, but a lot of us are waiting waiting for somebody else to do something, waiting for something to happen, waiting for the changes and even you know the five percent the ten percent the the agreements and what's been put in in terms of carbon we're waiting for other people to do things and and that it's it, some people say it's too late. Yep, but it's never too late to do the right thing. So, where do you see this going?
1: And in the now, what should we be doing as individuals? You think about those little things that 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 have an impact on you as you're you're going through your life. I remember in high school, um, and I was a complete meathead. Like how I learned anything, I have no idea in high school. But I do remember our headmaster walked around and he was always very well dressed suit the whole, and he would walk around, pick up pieces of paper, put them Mm. in his pocket, always picking up litter. And this is in the early eighties, right? When, when it was still litter. Right. (laughs) And so he was picking up, put it in his pocket. And he just said, and he would always say, think about if every person on the planet stopped littering and picked up one piece of trash every day, how long would it be until we had things cleaned up? Mm. Right. And it just, and, and, That's the only way that you can see your way through to getting this. And so I'll just give you an example. When I said about getting more ceiling fans, you know, I figured out that by raising the temperature in this house from an air conditioning perspective, you know, what I can reduce in terms of my emissions, Mm -hmm. just in going up another three degrees, Mm -hmm. um, using some fans, doing some other things. And am I doing it to be crunchy? No. No. I'm doing it because if I do that, my kids see that I'm doing that, right? Like, how do you break the cycle that we grew up with Mm. and just reset and start over? Mm. And so if from a think local at global or think global at local, I'll start with little things like that. But on the flip side, because of the platform that I have, if we have the ability to get public-private partnerships of government, higher education, and corporate America Focusing on climate the same way that we focused on COVID. Hmm. Right. I wrote a paper titled There's No Vaccine for Climate Change. Hmm. Right? Nice one. And what I said was, think about how we as a community came together in that in that period where everybody was chasing the vaccine and they were trying to figure out how to build models to figure out where ventilators would get, where where should we deploy ventilators? I mean, all of these things where we were trying to figure out how to predict how to help people going forward and how to educate policymakers and the public. And that was a microcosm for what we need to do with climate. So if we can take that same sense of urgency, collaboration, and teamwork and pull together consortiums that go solve really important problems around a specific, whether it's typhoons, whether it's drought, whatever, um, then we're eating the elephant one bite at a time. Um, and then I will leave it to the politicians, broader policymakers and people with much bigger platforms than I to go figure out how to do that on a, on a bigger macro scale.
0: And it's fascinating for me because there's a couple of things that are resonating to me. One is James Clear's Atomic Habits, where he talks about every, every action that we take is a vote for the type of the person we want to be. And so the headmaster picking up the piece of paper. And, and it's classic because I was walking past a piece of paper the other day. And I went, oh, it's terrible. Somebody's littered, but I didn't pick it up. So there's that moment where we all need to be conscious about what we do and the types of people we want to be. But it's also what is cool. And it's sort of the younger generation now is it's more cool to be right onto, working out about the environments. Uh, and even we get mocked for our choices. So there's one thing um, is in there. But I think the other thing that for me crystallized it, because we just had. By elections for elections in the UK, and one of them in London, the uh, party the one won because it was against extending the electric vehicle charge congestion charge in there. And there was a classic moment where people were for voting for their self interest, yeah, but the person trying to do the good thing with the congestion charge gets voted down, but because of politics, yeah. We get into that debate, and I, I think that's probably where you have hit most of your barriers in terms of that.
1: And maybe I'm Pollyanna to think that if we just don't give up and keep pushing on doing the right thing, mm. but you know, it, it, fifteen year you know, fifteen years ago I might have laughed at myself, right? Yeah. But I'm okay with that now, right? Mm. Because if you don't, if I don't, who will, mm. right? And the, the fact of the matter is, is, this is such a cliche that, you know, that our kids are our future, right? But if all I can do is model that behavior, not just for my kids, but mm-hmm. the kids who I coach, um, you know, the, 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 other, the other people with whom I interact, um, mm-hmm. then maybe it's a sense of scale. But I know that I'm when my days are done, I know that I will have impact that lasts far longer than I. And it's mm-hmm. not because it's a piece of legislation or a building or anything else yeah i agree love that and
0: i suppose the 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 key thing for me is in measurement what is measured gets done yeah and coming back to the work that you do and the measurement in there i i loved your example of the fans because sometimes we don't understand the impact of the small thing and what it but it also can benefit our pockets as well as what else we're doing there so there is this business case for this that needs to be brought to this for people's minds as well.
1: Yeah. I, I do the math, you know, and so much of this is you, you can be Pollyanna and you can be huggy and squishy and soft and squishy it, but, but you can always back it up with data. Hmm. And so my kids laugh because I don't get plastic lids on coffee. If I buy coffee someplace, um, I keep a plastic, all right, this is going to start sounding eccentric, and I, uh, granted, but yep. I have a, a plastic spoon that I keep in my car, right? And so that when I get coffee in at in a mart, um, and I put it in there, <clears throat> I take it to my car without the lid, I stir it with the spoon that's in there, wipe the spoon off, plug it back in there, and then drink my coffee. Hmm. But I did the math for my kids, and I said, look, if I buy coffee 200 times a year, that's 200 lids. For five years, that's a thousand lids. You know, mm-hmm. that's a that's a lot of lids, yeah. right? And if I could start teaching people that the little things add up, what an incredible lesson. I mean, outside of climate or anything else, that when you're when you're a kid, you don't realize those things that you those little things, little lies. Mm-hmm. Little lies add up, mm-hmm. you know, little compromises, compromising your ethics. They all add up. Everything adds up, right? The data, everything adds up. Yeah. And so if you can start building that muscle in them then one day when you're not around and the light bulb goes on they're like oh okay I, now I why. get
0: it. yeah as somebody said don't to me the other day said uh don't try to push yourself as a father on your daughters to get their love and respect at some point they'll realize they need it and that's when they'll be and but there's a piece in there that if we can role model what it's like yeah and what we should be doing, it is a good place. So, so when you've got your face that looks like you want to punch somebody in the face, yeah, (laughs) it it is, it's, it's causing a reaction. But if you look at what that caused in terms of the relationships and the connections with a person who's got the courage to do something different, it's good.
1: Yeah. But what, what I'm always so quick to point out to people is, is that, look, we all have our personas and everything else, but Life is so much better when you are an active listener.
0: Yeah.
1: right. When you're paying attention, regardless of whether you agree or disagree. It, um, and so if if the price that I pay is sometimes people not understanding that what I'm actually doing is respecting them enough to listen, but I just so have to have my hands folded and I'm not really reacting to anything. Because rather than being that person that is thinking about five other things, but is giving you all these facial expressions like, oh, that's so riveting, but they don't even know what you're saying. Yeah. Right. I'd rather just dial in and be focused on that for that amount of time because I'm going to get something out of it one way or the other. Agreed. I, and I,
0: I think, you know, for me, that's a great place for us to come full circle to here because it it goes to the point of listening. It goes to the point about how do we as citizens start to listen to each other in the community around what you're trying to do on the on the weather and the climate, particularly. Yeah. So where now for you? Now you're no spring chicken. You're similar <laughs> age to me. Yeah. So where do you go from here? You know, you're, you're trying to solve world problems, universe problems at the moment. Where do you go from here?
1: I'm happy to report that I don't know, <laughs> um, but that, but that I'm okay with that, mm. right? I spent a I spent a, a fair amount of time. I tell young people all the time that hey. Um, uh, living life by process of elimination is an okay way to go. As long as you're making forward progress, right? Mm. You can't job hop and jump around just for the sake of it. But if what you can do is to each time you try something, give it your best and be like, "Eh, this isn't for me, whether it's, I mean, give it enough time to breathe, but you know, give it a year or so, but now you can scratch that one off the list. Mm. And when you're interviewing with the next job and the person says, boy, it looks like you've been a few different places. Make sure that you're ready to explain, hey, here's what I learned from that, here's what I got out of it. And I just, for whatever reason, you know, I feel this sort of second burst of energy now at this point in my life that I know whatever that thing is gonna be is gonna it's if luck is where hard work meets opportunity, right? I've worked I've worked hard through my life yeah. to put myself in the position that when the opportunity is there, I'll know it and I'll go. But I also know that it has to be something that is a full manifestation of all the things that you and I have talked about today, because I have, I've earned the right not to compromise. That's all I know, right? I've earned the right not to compromise. I love that.
0: I love that as a closing statement. So I'm going to ask the questions. and I'm fascinated by these questions because you and I have so much in common, but just see where we go. So one small moment in your life that shaped your leadership, what would it be?
1: I'm sure that I'm supposed to have some better business book story, but the fact of the matter is I was 35 years old. I'd had some success and everything else, but I realized that I wasn't the person that I was supposed to be. I was not the person that my parents sacrificed to get me educated and to make sure I was healthy and well-fed. And I didn't give the, I didn't get the gifts God gave me to live the life that I was living And I just hit this moment and said, you know what, I got to do something about it. Um, And, um, you know, it just i changed a whole bunch of things. And um, uh, and one of them was that I stopped drinking, you know, and it wasn't. And I stopped because what I wanted to be was I wanted to be completely accountable for every second of my day, every second of my life. Hmm. Right. And once I did that, I was so much more thoughtful about every interaction yeah. I had with everybody, and quite frankly, every business decision I made, every everything that I did. And so it was just about accountability. But it was that moment where I took full accountability for my life and every second of it that I was then like, okay, hey, if I own it, then I can not only, I'm, I'm comfortable not only taking risks, but I'm also comfortable making mistakes because I feel like I can fully defend them, right? Yeah. Hey, here's what I was thinking. A man was that stupid. But now I know, won't make that mistake again. Love that.
0: Thank you for the, the honest and trust because I look back in my life and every bad moment that I've had has alcohol related to it. And it's, you know, that's, and Chris Tuff and I have talked about this as well, is that he's given up uh, alcohol and he's done that. And so there's there's this there's this piece for us um, to make those decisions about how we live our lives that, um, that change it. And yeah, it's all for the better. Second thing then, if you had to change one thing about leaders nowadays, what would it be?
1: I wish people would just own it, right? No. I don't even want to say authenticity. If you believe that you're better than somebody, if you believe whatever you believe, own it. No. Don't mask it in something else in order to get you voted or get promoted, get voted for or promoted or whatever else. Um, and we, we've reached this point where it's like all these people claim to have all these strong beliefs, but then use a bunch of mumbo-jumbo double talk and not just step up and own it. Yeah. And if you step up and own it, then maybe you will get more people to your side. Hmm. But we're living in this, in this in-between in world. So I think that – and unfortunately, we've gotten so impervious to it. We just we, – it's just – we just muted out that I've seen it creep into people who are even good people. Hmm. That Because we have as, as a society are getting okay with it in all sorts of other realms, that now you see people in the workplace and other places – where they're okay to equivocate off of it. You just can't. We need to get back to, you are what you are. Own it, yeah.
0: right? Own it and then the truth bombs. You know, and that, that's where people are, if they're not owning it, they're not having the real conversations as we talked about.
1: The, and you the can't throw the truth bomb unless you live an authentic life because the exactly. minute you throw the truth bomb and somebody says, wait a minute, two Home years did ago, you? didn't you X and Y and Z? Then, then you're just one more yuckapuck out there looking for a soundbite.
0: And therefore, we go back to, again, how do I live my life so that every action is a vote for the type of person I want to be. It's, it's, it's a common theme in this podcast. So it's a good theme, Tim. And, 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 for-
1: and if you're as lazy as I am, it is such an easier way to live, to be totally <laughs> transparent and owning it. I don't spend any time trying to remember who I lied to or anything else. I'm just like, you know, love me or hate me. It is what it is. But I don't, I don't waste time You are going to
0: love me or hate me, but there it is. <laughs> <laughs> So one habit, leadership habit, which is non-negotiable for you, what is it?
1: Apologize sincerely, hmm. um, meaning that you know all the kids who play for me. The you know the example I always give is you see the the point guard comes down and he's taking his fifteenth bad shot in a row. And he's like, "My bad," right? Like, and I don't let my kids say "my bad," right? Because hmm. <clears throat> I don't care whether or not you said you are telling me you shouldn't have taken that shot. What you should what you should be saying is it would I would have been better off passing you the ball and giving yeah. you an opportunity to help the team by getting it there. Hmm. That's the difference between selfish sort of accountability and responsibility and understanding what your impact has been on somebody else. Hmm. And so I make plenty of mistakes, but you need to take that moment to say you know what I, I shouldn't have done that. My intentions were right, um, but it came out all wrong, and I completely understand why you feel the way you feel. Hmm. You take 12 seconds to do that. And people, it, it changes people's day, life, potentially a career, right? Yep,
0: I would agree. I love that. It, I'm a big fan of Ted Lasso. Uh, <laughs> and I'm geeking out on that. And some of those messages that you get in there, just I love. But if people, more people watch that and we're absorbing those things, I love that. Apologize sincerely. Tim, it has been great to have you on the podcast. Um, We could talk all day, and I just the best opening of a podcast ever. Yeah, uh, in terms of the story about being, you know, wanting to punch our friend Chris in the face, but a serious message to end on, which is we've got an impact to make, and how do we use our connections and networks to to do something
1: different? I love it, and and we need to use these networks for. Yes, we all need to make a living. Mm -hmm. We all need to do good things, but. The fact that you and I are connected now mm. means that we're growing. This is our only way we dig ourselves out of this, right? Yeah. Is that people of our generation need to connect and then connect cross generations and everything else. And we need to rebuild, when they call it the fabric of society, mm. that's the fabric, it's yeah. the good stuff. Like we need to be the good threads in the fabric.
0: Yeah, I can never remember this weft and whatever it is in the fabric. But anyway, that's going back to my geography and uh, <laughs> teaching days. <laughs> Because, um, if, uh, if, if uh if people want to find you tim where would they where would they be able to find more about uh, you? I would say
1: just find me on linkedin much to chris Tuff's chagrin uh <laughs> i think i've posted on instagram twice um i have a dormant facebook account i do and and quite frankly i like playing the curmudgeon card as far as that goes <laughs> and so linkedin cool. is probably the best place to find me just because if i were to go pull, pull social media now i'd have to admit that he was right and i just i'm not a big enough person to do that
0: no and you're not recording this live to anybody so
1: <laughs> thank god right <laughs> always good talking colin call me anytime
0: <laughs> tim it's been a delight love having you on here and uh, yeah. we've got to do this again at some point when you work out what the next piece is the next experiment that you're going to have I, that program. i
1: would that i will do because you i'm probably going to pull you into it somehow somewhere. No, i would love that people oh, like oh, i okay. got to stick together yeah
0: <laughs> tim great to speak
1: to you all right colin, thanks for thank time. you all right take care
0: That was Tim. I told you that it's uh, a great conversation, a great human being, great attitude, concept in terms of how he lives his life, humble, humility, which is a big thing uh, for me in terms of how we, we operate. And it was interesting after the, we'd finished the, um, the call um, and the recording, we were talking about the Daily Stoics and uh, how we both do one or two things in the morning, but one of those is looking at the Stoics. And some of the principles that we have in our lives and how we operate are are based on that. And that comes through in the conversation today about how we get better at being citizens, human beings around climate, around how we impact, but how we collaborate within our industries, our businesses, our countries to change what we're trying to do. And that's a massive thing for him in the work he does. Um, but it's also this bit about how the networks and the red threads that we have can build those connections to start to think in a different way. Um, and if you think about Chris and you've probably heard the podcast, Chris, on there, very different energy, very different focus, as we talked about today. Um, and therefore you make the link to Tim Carroll and how they connected. And then you think about the connection to me and therefore the connections that go on and on and on. And, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Pay It Forward. But there's, there's a principle in here about how you build your networks. And Tim and Chris are living proof of how that operates and how that works. So make an impact in society, but do it through your networks and live in a way that allows those networks to thrive and be a benefit to us. That was Tim Carroll. Uh, I look forward to welcoming you another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast very shortly.